This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, my friends. How are you? Getting ready for Valentine's Day? How about cooking an amazing meal for your significant other without breaking the bank? Well, you're in the right place for this. A couple of things before we dive into the episode. First and foremost, let's talk reviews. As you know, I've been asking you to please, 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 please rate and review my podcast. I know it seems like it's not that big of a deal, and it's probably super annoying that I keep asking you for reviews on each episode. But this is the thing about podcast reviews. It really does help this podcast to get noticed by other people as well. For those of you who've already left me a review, I'm so, so grateful. Thank you so much, and thank you for being patient while I ask for more reviews. Listen, there are so many of you who are listening to my podcast for sure, but have not left a review. If you could please be so kind as to do that, I would really appreciate it. It really, really helps the podcast. I know it seems a little confusing as things are different on different podcast platforms where you can leave the review. So let's just simplify that. All I ask of you is to fill out that Apple podcast review on your podcast app if you would be so kind to do that. It helps the podcast to be more easily found within Apple Podcasts for other listeners. We all need help, right? I certainly do. Now, if you have an Android device, you're not going to be able to do that directly. But fortunately, it's easier than you might have imagined. If you even have Apple Podcasts on your computer, you can search for Decoding Obesity and do your review right there. Super, super easy. We talked about setting goals in one of my previous episodes. Well, I have set a goal for myself to get at least a thousand reviews on Apple Podcasts in 2021. The more, the better, of course. What I ask of you is just a couple of reviews to help me get to my goal. Another exciting thing that I have launched is the Decoding Obesity Hangout. I want to extend a personal invitation to you all to join me in my next Decoding Obesity Hangout. This is a free meetup where you get to discuss challenges in your weight loss journey, find accountability partners, and network with people in different stages of their weight loss journey. So head over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash hangout and get signed up for our next Decoding Obesity Hangout. Okay, let's talk eating healthy on a budget. Dr. Golikari is a family medicine physician who is also certified in culinary medicine. As a culinary medicine specialist, Dr. Golikari consults with patients on management and prevention of conditions like diabetes, high cholesterol through diet and nutrition. She also sees patients who are struggling to lose weight and those who are experiencing difficulty in maintaining a healthy weight. So, you know, culinary medicine has been one of my passions, and I'm so pleased that I have Dr. Goli Kerry with me. Welcome, Sarita. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me today. This has really been excited to do this. Yeah, you know, we've discussed this before, and culinary medicine is something that I've been wanting to pursue, and I probably will be doing it very soon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is so amazing that I have a culinary medicine specialist with me talking about eating healthy and that too on a budget. So this is amazing. Yeah. Culinary medicine is actually something that I had not even known about probably even maybe 10 years ago. It's kind of a growing field, a newer field that I had kind of heard about at a conference that I went to because I'm also a geriatrician. 
And there was a conference that I went to where we talked about obesity in the elderly. And that's kind of how this emerged. I had done some group cooking classes when I worked at a free clinic here in my town of Williamsburg. And as I got more information and I heard about the culinary medicine training program in New Orleans with the Goldring Center with Tulane, that's really when I decided that that's when I was going to embark on that. Yeah. What did you learn there? I'm just curious. The curriculum was fairly rigorous and, you know, it was a lot of credits, a lot of online time. But I think the most important thing that we learned in the program was really how to make food relatable to our patients and how to make healthy eating habits and those principles relatable to patients and not just in regards to weight management or even just, you know, cardiometabolic disease, but even for things like inflammatory diseases, even with patients that have issues with frailty, patients that are hospice patients, you know, that are trying to get nutrition. So it's kind of a wide spectrum that really get to learn about and then are able to impart a lot of those things to our patients. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, you know, it's funny that culinary medicine actually exists in this day and age. I think it's become very difficult to understand what healthy eating actually is. So why don't you decode the healthy eating part for us? What does healthy eating mean in this day and age? I think healthy eating is very, very difficult to pinpoint because, you know, I think if you talk to many different people, you'll get about a thousand iterations of what that is. You know, a keto diet, a plant-based diet, the Atkins diet, the South Beach diet. I think I've done several. That's right. The whole 30. Exactly. And I think in terms of what I tell patients about healthy eating or when I tell colleagues or friends about healthy eating, for me, the definition of healthy eating is kind of staying as close to a natural product as possible and sticking to probably the diet that most of our grandparents ate, which typically did not come out of a box or a can or a jar. You know, it really came out of mostly, you know, the earth and those kind of principles. So, To me, a healthy diet is not really following, it's not really actually following a diet. I hate that word, actually. You know, to me, a diet kind of implies sort of a temporary measure where we're trying to get into a dress or a bathing suit. It's not really kind of a lifestyle. So I think a healthy, I always try to think of it as, you know, a healthy lifestyle, a healthy eating pattern. And that involves, you know, lots of fresh vegetables you know, really fresh vegetables is the hallmark of our diet, whole grains, and whether protein, whether that's plant-based, you know, whether you eat lean proteins that are meat-based, those are really the the heart. And of course, fruits, those are kind of the sort of real heart of what a healthy diet is to me. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I think this is probably the second or the third time that I'm mentioning this. I had a guest on my podcast, and he mentioned most of the stuff that's available is not food, it's food-like products mm-hmm. that, that we put in our mouth. You know, it's so true. Anything that comes with the label may not necessarily be healthy. Anything that says healthy on the label is not necessarily healthy. Mm-hmm. But obviously, a lot of these healthy options include fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, and whatever have you. So how do you make them more affordable? They're super expensive mm-hmm. these days if you go to any supermarket to buy them. So what's the workaround? How can people get these cheaper? First of all, I always try to think about eating as locally as possible, you know, and also eating as seasonally as possible. So what that means is, you know, 
we're now into kind of the winter. You know, typically you don't want to be sourcing things like strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, you know, which are all very, very healthy and have lots of great antioxidants and also taste great, but they're not particularly cost effective if you're trying to eat them in December and January. You know, they tend to be more seasonal in the spring and summer months. However, frozen fruit is a great way to get those kinds of flavors. And frozen fruit, you can get frozen fruit almost pretty much year round, pretty cost effective way of getting things like that. So I always recommend eating seasonally. I know a lot of people try to get a lot of their food products in bulk. And I do recommend that for some things, you know, for instance, you know, if you're getting any of your grains like rice or flowers or things like that, it's certainly more cost effective to buy things in bulk. But buying produce in bulk is generally not a good way to go because you're going to have too much that spoils. You know, another really good way to save money, I think, with healthy products are to buy things like lentils or pulses or things like that are great things to buy in bulk. And, you know, they're not going to go bad. They last for a long time. Things like black beans or dry lentils, things like that are buying them in bulk tends to be more cost effective. Yeah, that's very true. You know, I also think that buying frozen foods and even frozen vegetables for that mm -hmm. matter, because they can last for a very long time. Of course, if you buy fresh, by the time they're transported from the farm to actually your table, the nutritional value is actually going down in all of those foods. So yeah, I think buying frozen is very important if you were especially going on budget. The only downside that I feel from a cooking perspective is that the vegetables lose their texture. I don't enjoy a frozen broccoli because it becomes like a mush. So that's the downside of it. But as far as the nutritional value of it goes, I think they do hold their nutritional value fairly well. And if you're on a budget, I think that's a great way to go. I mean, especially if you're going to be making some kind of a soup or some kind of a curry, wherein it doesn't really matter because everything's going to be slightly soft and mushy anyway. Well, some other things that I've also found that can really help with frozen vegetables, believe it or not, even though I agree with you, there's a lot, you know, the water content, especially in a lot of the cruciferous vegetables. But what I have found is if you roast certain vegetables at high heat and you do it fairly quickly, you still can get a little bit of that crunch and texture that you will get with the fresher vegetables. But yes, usually the frozen vegetables kind of lend more to kind of what we see more at this time of year, sort of more comfort eating casseroles, curries, you know, soups, things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, the other thing I'm very curious about is I honestly, when I go shopping into the, the grocery store, I honestly get so confusing because every grocery store prices their products differently. Mm -hmm. And so there's no standard price. You don't know what the market value is. Does that change with the season? It depends again on what you're buying. And it depends really also on where you're living. You know, for me, I live in Williamsburg, Virginia, which is, you know, in the South. And we have kind of a real abundance of produce. We have very mild weather. We have pretty severe summers, but the fall and the winters are actually quite mild over here. So we actually get really decent produce, like I would say almost, you know, year round. And we have great farmers markets and things like that which does cut down on the cost. But, you know, in terms of prices for certain things, what I recommend, I used to work in one of our free clinics here in town where we had patients that were truly living kind of a, a hand-to-mouth sort of existence. And I think, unfortunately, with this current pandemic situation we're seeing, we have quite a few patients and, you know, families that are really struggling. So 
what I generally tell them is any supermarket that you go to, especially if you're buying things like whole grains or lentils or dried beans, always go with the store brand because they tend to be much cheaper. They're usually exactly the same as kind of the, you know, bigger name markup brands and you're getting a little bit better bang for the buck. And so that's usually what I'll tell people to do is kind of to just sort of stick with the generics, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What about organic food and uh, not organic? I don't think there's any data to suggest organic is better than the stuff that's not organic. You know, I think it really depends on who you talk to. I definitely think for some products, Organic products are great because you have less of a worry about some of the pesticides and less worry about, you know, some of the ways that the fruits and vegetables were, you know, farmed. But again, you know, I live in an interesting area. I live in an area that's a fairly affluent retirement community. So for folks like that, buying organic is kind of a no brainer for them. But I also have an equal number of patients that are indigent that, you know, if they can get any fresh fruits or vegetables, let alone organic, you know, it really doesn't matter at that point. I think things like there's certain vegetables and fruits that I think if you and I always recommend people go on to the Daily Dozen and check out the Daily Dozen. That gives a lot of good information about which fruits and vegetables are optimal in terms of getting organic. I think that when you're budgeting, you always want to buy the best products you can at your price point. So I think if, you know, if the question is going to be, am I going to buy organic apples or am I going to buy fruit snacks that are apple flavored? Obviously, you know, there's no question about that. You know, I think that if the question comes to someone, well, I can buy a certain number of organic apples for my family, but I can buy more of the non-organic you know, you have to kind of take a lot of those things into account. But in general, I do agree with you. I think some of the organic kind of, I don't know what the best way of putting it, most political (laughs) correct way of putting it is, I think some of it is a little bit hyped. I agree with you. Yeah, I think that's fairly true, Sarita. But what do you recommend to your patients about eating healthy, especially on a budget? Because I know you worked in that free clinic and you had mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, it to me earlier. So what recommendations do you give to them? Well, I think the the biggest thing that I recommend to patients that are on a budget is flavor, 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 you know, and most things that offer a lot of flavor into foods are fairly inexpensive, like focusing on things like, you know, and I kind of saw this myself just recently. I went on a short trip with my family where, you know, we were not able to kind of get to our regular grocery stores. We were in an area that was fairly limited because it was somewhat rural. And we really decided because of COVID, we did not want to be going out and about to be looking for special products and things like that. So we kept it very, very simple. And I try to really impart a lot of those similar strategies to my patients. We stuck to things like lentils, black beans, a few canned goods of like, I think if you can get some really good canned tomatoes. They're very, very versatile. We had some limited spices like garlic powder, onion powder, a few different herbs, a few fresh herbs. I'm a big fan of citrus, things like fresh lemons, fresh limes. You can use both the juice as well as the uh, zest to season up a lot of foods. And 
we kept it very, very simple. And I was amazed at the variety of dishes that we were able to make, even with, you know, the limited amount of kitchen space that we had and the limited amount of actual produce that we had, we were able to be very versatile. So what I generally would tell my patients in the free clinic is, you know, focus on as quality proteins as you can get, whether they're plant-based, whether they're, you know, we're looking at, you know, lean meats like chicken, turkey, things like that, but really try to focus on making it as flavorful as possible with simple, simple ingredients like the ones that I mentioned, you know, with some of the simple herbs and spices. I also try to get a lot of the folks that are cooking with me to really stick to the perimeter of the store, which I think I've heard you mention on the podcast several times, you know, where you're looking at the least amount of processed foods as possible. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, flavor is key. I think when you have limited options, Mm -hmm. you get more creative in creating different recipes or different things, regardless of the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have too many options available, that's when the analysis paralysis, so to say, happens. And you're more confused than focused on creating these new things. And I think we see this across all spectra of life. It's not just related particularly to cooking. It's anything that you do. The more limited options you have, the more clear focus you get. You know, now talking about shopping on the perimeter and shopping healthy on a budget, how can people do that? And uh, to that, I also want to add another question that I was thinking of. Basically, you know, when you go to any of the grocery stores, the big name grocery stores, Mm -hmm. All of the stuff is available all year round. So you mentioned about shopping seasonal. Now, if you go to a farmer's market, it may be different. Mm -hmm. But the farmer's markets are usually a little more expensive. So how do you figure out if this is a seasonal vegetable or not? I tried looking it up at one point in time. I was more confused than anything. So are there any resources that people can use to figure out what are the seasonal vegetables available? There are some resources and some of the resources that I tend to let people to look at are things like the CSA organizations that you can look at. You know, CSAs are organizations where you can sort of get a farm share and the local farmers are usually very good at telling you what is kind of seasonal, you know, and what the price points are. And then you can compare some of those sometimes to the, you know, circulars that come in the mail for your grocery store. But the typical things that I I think people can buy to kind of keep things seasoned well are things like, you know, always keeping onions and garlic on hand, always keeping the citrus products on hand. Yeah. So, Sarita, what are some of the staples that you recommend people to keep in their pantry, especially I think that's going to be very important if you're going to be eating healthy on a budget? So what I recommend that people keep in their pantry, and these are the things that I actually keep in my pantry at all times. Onion and garlic usually have a fairly decent shelf life. You can actually even prep those ahead of time. A lot of times, especially I do do a lot of Indian cooking, which calls for a lot of onion and garlic. I usually try to keep it chopped up, prepped so that it's ready for whenever I need it. You can even, it freezes beautifully. You can always have it ready to go. Both those things impart a lot of flavor. I personally always keep ginger in my freezer, another really great flavor supplement that stays pretty much forever. And whenever I need it, I just pull it out, grate a little bit of ginger into any of my dishes. I always keep lentils, black beans. Actually, I keep a variety of different beans, lots of different, you know, white beans, pinto beans, black beans. 
I always try to keep different types of whole grain flours on stock, things like spelt flour, whole wheat flour, almond flour for people that are really following kind of a gluten-free type of program. In terms of spices, I would say that my top five are, I'm going to leave salt and pepper out, but my top five are cumin powder, coriander powder, garlic powder, onion powder, and you pick kind of one of the ones that you like, parsley, basil, thyme, rosemary, one of those. And honestly, I think you could do about 99% of most meals. And then with a little bit of citrus, lime or lemon, you could almost do any type of meal you'd like with those. And then anything else is sort of, we're talking healthy, but the icing on the cake, if you will. And those are things like sesame oil, soy sauce, tamari. And all of these things are actually fairly inexpensive. And I actually do buy the store brand, you know, varieties of these sorts of things most of the time. And they work very, very well. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, it's really interesting that you don't need a lot of spices to actually change the flavor. You just need to change the proportion of the spices. That's right. That's what I found in my experiments with food. Absolutely. And then some other things that I like to keep on hand, I like cinnamon. Cinnamon is a great, there's a lot of literature about cinnamon and how it can help maintain blood sugar. It's also a great spice that I think works well, not just with sweet dishes that we kind of associate it with, but it works a lot with savory dishes, especially Middle Eastern dishes where, you know, it just gives that kind of extra warmth and extra depth of flavor. And another sort of thing that I tend to keep is garam masala, which is, you know, as we know, because we grew up eating it, (laughs) you know, kind of a mix of different spices. I usually like to keep that on hand. And of course, now everybody's new wonder drug, turmeric. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I tend to have those on hand, but I don't think you actually need them necessarily as long as you have really kind of like those other, other ones that I mentioned. I think another kind of hidden jewel for a lot of people, and again, it's not a very costly item, is jarred salsa. Right. I think jarred salsa is one of those things that you can use in just about everything. It can be obviously a dip. I use it as salad dressing a lot of times. You can kind of dress it up very, very easily. I have used it in, you know, just with different things that I've made. I've used it in soups. So it's kind of one of those little hacks that I always kind of keep on hand, especially if I know that I'm going to have guests coming over sort of unexpectedly and I need to add a little bit of flavor hits and I don't necessarily have a lot of fresh herbs on hand. Jarred salsa works very, very well. And even, you know, I know we've talked mostly about staying out of the middle aisles of the store where there's a lot of packaged foods, but I think that there are certain things that actually can help people, especially that are on a budget or on a time budget, which I think most of us have these days. You know, we are so busy. So I think some hacks like that, like jarred salsa, a really good quality pasta sauce as well. And you can use those in a multitude of different ways to help enhance a very simple meal. Yeah. Can you share some of your favorite recipes with our listeners? I mean, Valentine's Day is around the corner. So what would they be able to prepare for their loved ones on Valentine's Day on a budget? Okay. Well, you know, like I said, we just recently traveled and I'm trying to get my two daughters to cook a little bit more. 
And since it was a road trip, we actually brought a few pantry items with us. And one of the things that we brought was a really good quality jarred spaghetti sauce. And my husband happens to love gnocchi. So I bought some shelf-stable dried gnocchi, and I wanted to try something a little bit different. I really didn't feel like boiling anything, so I actually made a really simple dish, which I think ended up, my kids actually said, they said, I would order this in a restaurant. So that was a win. And very simple and elegant dish is basically just taking store-bought gnocchi, a jarred sauce, adding, you know, a little bit of either Parmesan, mozzarella, or both. I added a can of white northern bean and we baked it. Didn't have to do anything other than just mix it together, put it in a casserole dish. We baked it, added a little bit of fresh basil and a salad. And it was a very inexpensive and very elegant, easy dinner that you could probably throw together in less than 10 minutes and have on the table in probably about 30 minutes. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, actually, I recently did something similar, but I didn't bake it. What I did was I basically sauteed garlic and broccoli, essentially in a pan, and basically just used a little bit of the pasta sauce Mm -hmm. and boiled some pasta and just whipped it all together and put them all together. And it was fantastic because the variation in the texture of the broccoli and the pasta really creates that contrast. And the flavor from the pasta sauce is always amazing anyway. As long as you use a little bit of it and not overdo it, it, I think it should be fine. It's not about eating. I mean, ideally, you should eat completely healthy. But even if you achieve, even if most of your food is healthy, I think you're still good. Well, I always tell people, and I try to follow this rule myself, I call it the 80-20 rule, you know, where 80% of the time I'm doing, I'm making sure I'm getting in, you know, all of my servings of fruits and vegetables kind of really watching those portions, I'm getting my exercise in, all of those sorts of things. And it gives you that 20% wiggle room where, you know, if you want to enjoy the holidays, you can do that. If you want to indulge a little bit, you can do some of those things. But generally, some other things that I have found in terms of some very easy and healthy recipes are, I do this all the time, I actually make this for late for dinners that are very easy because another very inexpensive healthy, full of protein item are eggs. Okay. And you don't obviously getting free range organic eggs would be great, but even just dozen of a box of, you know, regular eggs that you can get at the grocery store usually runs you about $2 and 50 cents. You know, if you get the free range ones, it could go up to about three fifty or $4. Very simple and easy dish. And it using like pasta sauce or salsa, like we talked about is There's a Mexican dish called chilaquiles, which I like a lot, which is basically using remnants of either tortilla chips or tortillas that we have, preferably whole grain ones if we have them, corn tortillas, cutting them up into small pieces, adding them to the warmed up sauce, and basically cracking some eggs on top, a very small sprinkle of your favorite type of shredded cheese, and a little bit of lime and a little bit of cilantro on top. It's a very, very popular item in my house. Um, Oh, wow. I have to try that. (laughs) Yeah, it works out very, very well. And it also is a great way to, because another thing that I also try to emphasize to patients is trying to reduce food waste. Because, you know, a lot of times we have really great intentions about things that we're going to 
make, and I've done this myself, I'm very guilty of it, where, you know, I'll say, oh, this looks great. You get busy and all of a sudden you have, instead of a beautiful head of lettuce, you've got a yeah. a pile of, you know, brown mush basically in your refrigerator. So a lot of times I think if you use some of these leftover items that you have in your pantry, not only are you saving money, but you're also kind of reducing a lot of this food waste. That's true. So that's another really easy, quick meal that I like to do. I also recommend people try to cook certain things in larger quantities. I do this on the weekends that so it makes throwing things together like cooking a batch of brown rice or couscous or quinoa, keep that in the fridge and it's very versatile. You can use it for really pretty much any type of entree that you want. And I think you had had a session on your podcast where you had talked about meal planning. Yeah. I think if there's Probably the single biggest way people could be eating healthy on a budget is to meal plan. Yeah, no, that's so important because if you're planning your meals, you're essentially limiting the waste that you're creating. And what it does is it's just basically money going into your pocket rather than going into the trash can. So that's really important. What are some of the healthier alternatives? Because, you know, this gets very confusing. And if you go online searching for recipes, there are 10,000 different ways of doing things. And there are so, so many confusing ways of doing things. And they do try to simplify things in all fairness. But in your, in your opinion, do you have certain simple things that you can tell your patients or do you tell your patients about some of the traditional foods that are there in the American diet? How can they make it healthier? Yeah. And I think this was one of the things that we actually did when I was doing my training at the Goldring Center. Most of my patients, you know, I also live in the South. So there are a lot of like very heavy Southern dishes that and a lot of habits that we're trying to kind of work with essentially. You know, during that training, we talked a lot about the SAD diet or what they kind of call the standard American diet, which really is fairly sad in terms of, you know, the amount of processed foods, the complete lack of produce and fruits and vegetables and things like that. However, I think it's very, very difficult and very unrealistic for us as practitioners to, you know, even if we're well-trained in nutrition and cooking and culinary medicine or lifestyle medicine or mindful eating habits, all of those sorts of things, it's very difficult to change someone's palate and habits if they have sort of one mindset of how they've always eaten and you all of a sudden say, well, now we want you to go to 180 degrees, it's not really going to work. So I think you have to find a happy medium that's going to still give a lot of those similar flavors that people resonate with, you know, from their childhood or, you know, things that they learned from their family members and find healthier ways to get that same kind of nostalgic feeling sometimes. Because, you know, the other thing about food, I think, is that when patients are cooking, we want this to still be an experience that you know we're enjoying. Food should be a pleasure. It's just become this situation where people are very overwhelmed, like you said, with the, all the choices that they have or maybe have limited skill sets. So one of the things that we did kind of talk about was even something as simple as spaghetti with meat sauce, you know, sort of a typical meat sauce that you would get like say in the school cafeteria. And when we were in our teaching sessions in the kitchen learning about, you know, some of these modules we were doing, we had one group that made spaghetti and meat sauce, like sort of the traditional way with ground beef, 
with store-bought sauce and with regular pasta. And then we had sort of the other extreme where we had someone making whole wheat pasta with a homemade spaghetti sauce made with lentils. That's a very large divide to go from one to the other. But maybe you'll be able to find a patient that instead of using ground beef, they can do things like ground turkey or ground chicken, or maybe doing a combination of a little bit of the ground beef with maybe some of the lentils and maybe a combination of the regular pasta and the whole wheat pasta. So I think we always aim for perfection, but it's never going to happen for any of us. So we have to try to find what is going to be the most relatable and the most sustainable for most of our patients. I agree. Listeners, if you are wondering about that meal planning episode, that was episode number 34. So you can go to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash EP34. That's EP34. And you can get that episode on meal planning. I think we've covered a lot of ground today, Sarita. That's been a very, very fascinating episode. And it's been so interesting. Listeners, I have many more exciting episodes for you in the future. And I would really appreciate, again, if you could just spend a few more minutes of your time, leave a comment or a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread the message. And if there are any specific topics that you want me to cover, please email me at host at decodingobesity.com. I'm always looking for feedback, positive or negative, to see how I can improve. And if you're finding this podcast valuable, please share it with whoever you think will find it useful. Thank you so much, Sarita, and I'll see everybody next time. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.